Good morning. My name is Michael McCusker. As everybody knows, all things move all of the time. Planets, seasons, months, days, lives. Art and photography attempt to freeze moments into a freeze of no time. Yet time, however, cannot be restrained. Last month is annually our only real tribute to the moon's 28-day cycle. But March orbits on, which credits in commemoration women's cycle on planet Gaia. Her story has always been treated as the lesser, an aborted account, so to speak. Only so many Cleopatras, Jones of Arc, and Queens Elizabeth, or Virgins Mary. Who would have thought the exclusion of fully one-half the human species in the specious word history? History has rarely been her story, after all. Only recently has the exclusivity of history been so pertinently recognized as a gross imputation, as well as an abortion of fully one-half of humanity's earthy story. Yet it seems that women were the real pioneers of the cultivation of grains and domestication of animals that led to the agricultural revolution that ultimately produced civilization. The focal priority of this new millennium is to complete the social and personal equality of women. This transcends most other necessities of survival on planet Gaia because it is the most basic correction for humanity to make as well as the most potent force to successfully fulfill the vast myriad necessities of continued survival of the human species over time. The cold reality is that women can survive as the lone gender and continue to perpetuate the species as a result of in vitro fertilization as well as sperm and embryo storage, which, of course, threatens male humans of being biologically and socially irrelevant, which, as an outlier, might explain somewhat a male fear that abortion is also a power of abolition, that feminist power and perhaps also lesbian love are dire threats to not only male supremacy, but to extinction of maleness entirely. And perhaps a subliminal dread that women would purposely abort male fetuses primarily. The decision by the Supreme Court to rescind Roe versus Wade follows the unfortunate premise that women are not full and equal citizens and that they do not have the right to make elemental choices about abortion. The hypocrisy is that women have had to make these decisions for thousands of years. Women have been responsible for birth control or forced to be the instruments of euthanasia in regards to unwanted children in the vacuum left by irresponsible men. 
Abortion at least allows a woman to dispose of an unwanted child before it is born. Men who abdicate the responsibility for birth control yet believe they should control a woman's options, which has less to do with concern for an unborn fetus than it does retaining supremacy over women. Women are not allowed to be free and equal citizens, for that matter. More than a century after emancipation, neither are women and men of other races or religions other than white Protestant Christians, and especially blacks, who wish to be known as Afro-American in recognition of their long presence in this hemisphere. Humanity is crowding itself off its home planet. Abortion is a survival mechanism that attempts, whether consciously or subliminally, to alleviate the ever-increasing ravage of the home planet by an overabundant species that seldom practices successful birth control or environmental consciousness. In the bad old days, children were abandoned or willfully slaughtered when a population overran its resources. Abortion is a much preferable option than the current COVID pandemic in stabilizing population growth. Yet, as with slavery, abortion causes furious, admixed disputation and is such an emotional issue that a civil war of sorts is continually in threat of erupting. Nothing has been settled by the Supreme Court, which has erroneously made a political decision instead of an impartial, constitutionally rooted judgment that ultimately satisfies none but the most rigidly minded. Like the three-fifths compromise that led to the Civil War of the 19th century, which allowed that much but no more consideration of being human to black slaves, the Supreme Court has declared that women are, quote, so far inferior that they have no rights a man is bound to respect, unquote. Yet, despite all that despicable homo erecticity, the Equal Rights Amendment will prevail in the hearts and minds of an increasing human majority of both genders, which will make such writs patently unnecessary as relics of primitive puriality. If not, we are lost. Men will instead, as is their belligerent and dystopian nature, cannibalize and ultimately annihilate Homo humanus, if not Mother Gaia and Toto. And that was something I scribbled down for this program in particular. And now, by Poppy Noor. United Nations urged to intervene over destruction of U.S. abortion rights. And it was written for the Guardian. Top human rights organizations are calling on the United Nations to intervene over the destruction of abortion rights in the United States. In a letter shared in advance with The Guardian and sent by nearly 200 organizations and experts, the authors detail how 
since the overturning of the federal constitutional right to abortion in June 2022, some 22 million women and girls of reproductive age live in states where abortion access is now either banned or inaccessible. Among the signatories are the Global Justice Center, Pregnancy Justice, Amnesty International, and Human Rights Watch. They are joined by a broader coalition of groups and individual advocates for human rights and racial and economic justice. Abortion restrictions, the signatories write, deny, quote, women's decisional and bodily autonomy in a way that rejects the agency, dignity, and equality of people who can become pregnant, unquote. The groups in the letter claim that overturning the constitutional right to abortion contravenes the U.S.'s international obligation as a United Nations member organization. Member states are obliged to protect and uphold the rights to life, health, privacy, liberty, and security, along with freedoms from torture and inhumane, cruel, or degrading treatment. The U.S.'s role as a leader on the world stage does not exempt the country from these obligations. In fact, it should require them to do more, said a representative from the Global Justice Center, which is one of the signatories. The U.S. must be castigated on the world stage for its treatment of women, girls, and others who can become pregnant. The scale and intensity of human rights violations that the U.S. is inflicting on its population are near unfathomable at this point, said Christine Ryan, legal director of the Global Justice Center, in a phone interview. It has become almost tragically ironic that the U.S. government uses the language of human rights to condemn state abuses against citizens of other countries, be that in Iran or Belarus. These norms must be deployed against the state here at home as well, and for too long the U.S. has been able to avoid that type of international scrutiny, Ryan said. The authors say the curtailment of abortion rights in the United States is of a piece with the country's history of devaluing the lives of black women who are hit worse by abortion restrictions. The Dobbs ruling pushed the U.S. even further out of line with its human rights obligations, including its obligation to ensure access to abortion and to eliminate structural racism and discrimination, said Enrique Smaak. Daniel, women's rights researcher at Human Rights Watch. Abortion restrictions compound economic, social, and geographic barriers to health care, including contraception, disproportionately impacting black women's ability to access the care we need, she said. The letter was addressed to a number of UN agencies and officials including the Working Group on Discrimination Against Women and Girls. The special reporter on torture and other cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment, and the special rapporteur on the right to privacy. In the letter, the signatories ask recipients to communicate with the United States about these violations, 
to request an official visit to the U.S. and to ask the country to comply with its obligations under international law as a United Nations member state. Ending the constitutional right to abortion has had far-reaching and, in some cases, life-threatening risks, the authors write, including for those seeking miscarriage care, those forced to travel across state lines for abortion, and those denied care for potentially fatal complications such as ectopic pregnancies. Signatories in the letter list prior actions from the UN Human Rights Committees over abortion access in countries such as Ireland and El Salvador, arguing for similar scrutiny of the U.S. They note that the UN Committee has already established that denial of abortion can cause, quote, physical and mental suffering so severe in pain and intensity as to amount to torture, unquote. The letter also includes damning examples since Roe was overturned, including the case of one patient in Wisconsin who was left to bleed at home for 10 days following a miscarriage because hospital staff feared violating the state's abortion ban if they intervened to give care. It also details cases of several patients who have had to travel out of state for an abortion after being refused care for an ectopic pregnancy and others who were denied chemotherapy care due to pregnancy. Any exceptions following abortion in very narrow circumstances, for example, where an abortion is necessary to save the life of the pregnant person's life or when the pregnancy is the result of rape, are practically unworkable, the signatories write. These abuses lie firmly at the Biden administration's door, added Ryan from the Global Justice Center. We have seen consistent lip service from the Biden-Harris administration, but not enough action, she said. She pointed out, for example, that even with the loss of Roe, the Biden administration could make abortion drugs more readily available by removing unnecessary regulations on certain drugs. There has been an absolute calamity in terms of public health, human rights, and the response has been middling to poor, Ryan said. And that was United Nations urged to intervene over destruction of U.S. abortion rights by Poppy Noor. And she wrote that for The Guardian. And now from the Washington Post by E.J. Dion, Jr. History months celebrate those who were written out of the story. How we see the past shapes how we see our present and future, even as our contemporary insights, biases, and preoccupations affect our interpretation of what happened before we got here. That is what makes history controversial. It is inevitably a revisionist enterprise that helps us understand how and why our society has changed. In each era, we see the past differently according to how we see ourselves and our own experiences, historian Benjamin Carter Hett wrote in his book on the collapse of the Weimar Republic in 1930s Germany. One era will notice things about the past that another will not. 
this is one reason why history is and has to be constantly rewritten, Carter Hitt wrote. This ongoing revisionism is what leads to History Months. Black History Month in February is followed by Women's History Month in March. It also explains why the many fights we are now having over school curriculums are understandable, even if efforts to censor books and repress ideas are counterproductive to learning and reasoned discussion. The annual observance of these months is the fruit of egalitarian movements in the 1960s and 1970s that pushed new generations of historians to rebel against the exclusion of whole classes of people from our national history. Admirers of what was seen as more traditional history grumbled over the lifting up of race, class, and gender as black and working-class Americans, women, and immigrants at long last became the subjects of extensive scholarship. Traditionalists asked, what happened to recounting the exploits and achievements of the leading political figures in our history, almost all of whom were white men? Washington, Adams, Hamilton, Madison, Lincoln, and FDR never disappeared and Lincoln has always been a special figure of fascination. One count made about a decade ago found that some 15,000 books had been written about Lincoln alone. But it's true that for a while, political history lagged behind the new bottom-up social history. In recent years, political history has made a comeback, but it's a history far more mindful of the role of black Americans, women, and workers, and far more aware of racism, sexism, and elitism. As both a lover of political history and a sympathizer with the egalitarian impulse, I appreciate the new synthesis. Bringing the two together can help us notice the roots of political change and its extent. One example is the remarkable trajectory of women in our nation's political life. The change in the right direction is unmistakable, even as the process took way too long and still has a long way to go. In 1916, Jeanette Rankin became the first woman elected to the House of Representatives. A Republican from Montana, Rankin pushed for the 19th Amendment that enfranchised women across the country four years later. In a Congress whose size is set at 535, it was not until 1961 that even 20 of the members of the House and Senate were women, and their numbers retreated for several elections. The 1990s were the first big breakthrough. The number of women in Congress rose from 33 to 54 after the year of the woman, and that's a quote, election of 1992. The numbers have steadily grown since, finally rising above 100 to 101 in 2013. The 2018 and 2020 elections were breakthroughs comparable to 1992. The number of women who are voting members in one of the chambers of Congress hit a new high of 149 after the 2022 elections. 106 Democrats 
42 Republicans and one Independent, according to the Rutgers Center for American Women and Politics. We should celebrate the achievement and also ask why our democracy still lags far behind many others in electing women. While 28% of the members of the U.S. Congress are women, women make up between 40 to 50% of the parliamentarians in such democracies as France, Iceland, Mexico, Norway, Portugal, Spain, South Africa, Sweden, and Switzerland. We definitely are not number one. The role of women in our public life is an excellent case study of how the questions we ask of history change over time. Precisely because the politically subordinate role of women was taken for granted by earlier generations of historians, it was not an issue they even thought of addressing. Examining the role of women in our history occurs to us now because of social and political changes that most of us welcome. Does that mean that history has been politicized? The answer is yes, only in the sense that political change always affects how we see history. The better view is that history is more accurate and more complete when we ask new questions, include more people's experiences, and, as Het says, notice things our forebearers didn't. It's why everyone has an interest in celebrating months in honor of those who were once written out of history altogether. And that was by E.J. Dion Jr. History months celebrate those who were written out of the story. And that appeared in the Washington Post. This is Michael McCusker. Dylan Hauser Schalk is this program's engineer. Rummaging through excess mounds of esoteria, I recently found two film celebrity obits from 30 years ago, recorded in Newsweek magazine dated the Ides of March in 1993. Lillian Gish, magnificent silent film star, who died at age 99 on February 27th that year. She was, quote, most memorable in the 1920s films of D.W. Griffith, unquote, and appeared afterward in a number of talkies, including the much overwrought all-star 1947 western, Duel in the Sun. And the second obituary on the same page as Miss Gish, the great, quote, tap-dancing actress, unquote, Ruby Keeler, star of Warner Brothers movie musicals such as 42nd Street, which made its premiere on March 8, 1933, and Gold Diggers of 1933. When asked about her favorite films, Keeler said, gee, I don't remember. They were all so much alike. I also found an Associated Press article in a Daily Astorian article from today's date, March 9th, that same year, 1993. Old Glory put to a new use as a condom logo. The article was about the claim of Old Glory Condoms Company of Providence, Rhode Island, that the U.S. Constitution allowed for the company to use the American flag as a logo, despite that it might, quote, scandalize and shock, unquote, many citizens. 
the company noted in the article that the U.S. flag is incorporated into the logo of thousands of products. Old Glory Condom Company CEO Jay Critchley said, The real scandal is not my trademark, but the fact the examining attorney was more scandalized by the trademark than by the current AIDS crisis to which I sought to respond. And now, this next week is larded with notable dates. 314 is Pi Day plus E equals MC squared nativity. 315 is Caesar Acupuncture Day. 316 is St. Erho's Day. 317 is All Snakes Day. 318 is Death Day. In 1584, of Putin the Putrid's idol, Ivan the Terrible. 319 is Suri Mir Genesis Day. Of course, you all know that next month, April 17th, is KMUN's 40th birthday. There is a party for KMUN at the Elks Lodge on Earth Day, April 22nd and a pledge drive from April 10th to the 21st. So remember, KMUN, Coast Community Radio. And happy birthday today, March 9th, to Dr. Deborah Kamali.